Hey, welcome back. It's episode 68 of the Airport Minute, where every day, well, Monday through Fridays, we analyze the greatest disaster movie of our time, I think, 1970s Airport from Universal Pictures. I'm Jim O'Kane, one of the hosts at TVDads.com. And I'm host number two, Mark Cerulli, and we celebrate... 1970 every day on this show, and uh, we've got a great special guest for a return engagement, uh, pop culture connoisseur Chris Epting. Hey guys, good to be back. Excellent. I hope uh, hope yeah. you're rested, <laughs> rested, tan, rested, and ready. And uh, all right, totally in the moment to talk about this great film. <laughs> it's been a great movie, and we're just coming up with the end of Act One here. Poor Inez is still trying to find out casually. If her husband is on board that dreaded flight too, the gate agents are telling him no, or it's it's against our policy. We can't do anything about this. And she's like, "Well, he's been been sick, so could you just let me know if he got on board safely?" And the same guy that got yelled at by Dean Martin two minutes earlier uh, nods his head, and so the other gate guy said, "Yep, still he's wearing his hat, you know." Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to know he's in charge. Right. The other fellow tells her he's aboard, and then we get that run of uh, violins. Well, I was going to say, that, that to me was really, that's the moment in this minute is, you know, the starkness and the reality of not having music, at least the ones I've talked about, the, you know, the last couple of minutes. All of a sudden now to have music, it really does, uh, it affects things so dramatically, even melodramatically. On the one hand, I think it's great because it obviously adds that layer to it, but I kind of like the starkness and minimalist of just hearing footsteps and you know hearing people breathing you know that reality of what's going on really lends to the seriousness of it and you do feel yourself even though you know you know it's a fiction and you know you've you've seen the movie before you still find yourself leaning into it as she's trying to get to the to the gate on time you think oh maybe this time she'll get there she'll have a chance at you know stopping her husband it's such a pivotal part of the movie i mean really movies like this there are there are certain key seconds you know where everything locks up and that's where things are decided and i think this is one of those moments yeah, def- definitely a turning point. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, I keep hearing the thing about uh, Anton Chekhov's thing about showing a shotgun in the first act. You, you can't fire one in the third act unless you show it in the first act. But this is more like, it's it's like tuning up an orchestra. We've we've had all the, we've we've had all the different tunings going on, but everybody's in place now. Everything right. is set so that the next part can happen. Exactly, it's locked and loaded. And I have to yeah. say, uh, uh, her facial expression. I mean, it's just. It's just phenomenal. She looks devastated as she realizes that her her badly disturbed husband is on that plane, and uh, God knows what he's going to do. Yeah, it, it's like she's absorbing a cannonball. She just kind of like backs up. It, it's it's, yeah. it's like she was physically hit, and she just kind of reels. She staggers back from... away from it. Yeah, it's just just yeah. phenomenal. This phenomenal. is yeah, and, this is acting. This is like silent film yeah. acting. What's going on in this part? Yeah, and the inattention of the ticket agents. Uh, makes it right. They were brusque even back then. Yeah, yeah. It, it just they they didn't need to, you know, it, it, they didn't need to be part of the scene, so they just kind of like fade off. I think what's interesting in forty seconds, whereas looking back at her, the perspective of being outside, the the TGA logo placement almost feels like a sponsorship, like what we see today. In yeah. terms of product yeah. placement, Pro- product placement for a fictional airline. The framing yeah, exactly. of that logo is so perfect because it's like it's right where you would want it to be if it was a real company. Wouldn't you like to have that in oh, your design? Oh it, man, it's a great artifact. <laughs> I right take there. Maureen Stapleton too if I could get her, but I'll, I'll settle for the design. But yeah, yeah, I, I would actually do my entire den like that. Get those plastic chairs, and <laughs> <laughs> a couple of phone bo- pay phone booths in the back. <laughs> 
But, yeah. yeah, the logo's and, funny. You know, when they create a brand like that, you really start buying it, you know, and you see it on the plane, you see the uniforms. I mean, it really, you know, because those colors of the logo match the colors of what the stewardesses are wearing. So, you know, it was consistent. I think from a branding standpoint, they did a really good job at creating this fictitious airline. Yeah, it, it, it definitely defines the space. And you're like, okay, these are, you know, it, it's a big corporation and uh, it's, all, it's all part of their universe. I, like you were saying about when we watch her, you're getting kind of the plane's eye view of, uh, of Maureen Stapleton. She was in the in a couple of minutes ago, we were watching as she first ran up to the gate to compose herself to ask the question. We had been watching this over her shoulder. That was kind of subjective. But now we're kind of leaving her behind. Yeah. You know, it, it's. You're seeing her, you know, kind of fade off in the distance as as the plane rolls. I was going to say the plane does, too. And that's such a such a poignant moment as it disappears into the black and back on her. She's so I mean, she's so forlorn and defeated and, and resigned to whatever happens. It's uh, it's a pivotal moment. Yeah. It's, and I just wonder what emotional experience she is drawing on personally to, to do this scene. You know, it's got to be. Uh, or she's catching her breath from that long run in the airport. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Let me sit down. I got to rest against this pole. I'm dying over here. <laughs> Or the, yeah, this could be take six or take seven. So uh, it it is it is great. I mean, I don't know how to credit the actors or the ability of the director to get a performance like this out of the actors. I, I guess it's a matter of good casting because she really knows what she's doing. Yeah, yeah. And I she's mean. a seasoned pro at that point, like a lot of these other people too. This is not, you know, their first go around. I'm sure for them, this was you know just it's just what you did at that point you know because there are all so many veterans in there at this point yeah there's no there there's no introducings in the no in the they all came up through the system you know what i mean they had all done yeah. enough work with good people that they, they they got this drill you know yeah yeah definitely and this is kind of a throwback i mean in terms of the melodrama it is more of a throwback to the 40s and 50s kind of movies the stuff that was coming out at this time was usually very revolutionary. You, know, you had Easy Rider and things like that. Right, right. This was kind of one of the last big lumbering dinosaur studio films. Right. Yeah. I think if you watch her walk away too, right at the end of that minute where she turns, she seems so uh, brittle and so vulnerable and and really on edge. I mean, I'm looking at it as we as we speak here, and it's uh, again in the hands of the wrong actress, it could have been. Super melodramatic and forced, but I think she she pulls it off like a real pro. Yeah, yeah, and she does it age appropriate and uh, and character appropriate. You know, I don't see her going uh, screaming. She's more of a she. She's been a long suffering uh, wife of this guy that's had a lot of problems. Right, right. And she just, I think this is the last straw that just kind of breaks her inside. Amazing, too, how in 1970, we said, you know, she's 45 years old in real life. And just how matronly what 45 felt like in 1970. Um, it's, it's so interesting. You know, I was watching the off-topic Marty not long ago. Marty's mother, the little old lady, she's 53 in the movie. They call her 53 years old. And it's like we forget just how, how people were portrayed of a certain age you know 45 today is nothing and you know you look at her and she looks you know like comparable to probably 65 today yeah well that's same same thing with like uh ann b davis and uh brady bunch which is a year behind this one and da- ann b davis who pl- uh, played alice the maid i always thought of her as about six years so she was 41 yeah. oh my god i had show. i thought she was way older that's hey, yeah. Lucille Ball was older than Vivian Vance, you know, and I love yeah. Lucy, yet you look how they portrayed, you know, the frumpy, 
you know, what they did to Ethel. And it's, it's sometimes it's just a matter of how they sell it. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it is a great casting, though. Everybody in here, you buy the role that they're playing. I'm, I'm kind of stuck, though, on uh, Second 29 with uh, that fellow with the window pane um, suit in the background. <laughs> well, like, like some things seem timeless, but boy, is that that's right out of a Sears catalog from '68 or so. It's funny though, there that's a nice juxtaposition. A couple sort of laughing, you know, they're sort of carefree, you know, bookended by what she's going through and what we know is in her head. And it's from a directorial standpoint, it's kind of a nice offset to have that those extras there, you know, just sort of carrying on looking out the window like that, perfectly happy. Yeah, I mean, they're concerned, but for different reasons. They're just, you know, hope, hope the people that they just saw off, when you could, back when you could see people off at the terminal. Right. You yeah. know, they're, have, they're hope they're going to have a good time in Italy. And Inez, this is just beyond her comprehension why her husband would be on a plane to Rome. There's, it doesn't make any sense at all. And she still hasn't put the pieces together as to what his plans are. But to your point, too, Jeanette, yeah, who didn't always go off and see their parents or friends or whatever off at the gate like that? That was such a mm-hmm. ritual to be able to go watch the plane pull away and know that your friends or family were on there. Nice, yeah, or, or, or all the meetings. I, I can remember having the jetway blocked because there were so many people meeting their families at the jetway. Yeah. Were, you know, like just, just spilling out into the, into the terminal right there. Yep. Yeah, but, uh, those those days are gone. Maybe for good or bad, I don't know. But it's just kind of it's sad seeing it. It's it's a little bit. It was a lot more casual, a lot more carefree. Yeah. Uh, t- even though we're watching a guy driving away with a bomb, but <laughs> it's just, it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's. But he means well. It, yeah. Yeah. He doesn't know uh, what he's doing. It's, right. uh, but but how funny though, you know, in today's day and age too, you talk about uh, timely. You know, it's it, it, there's something interesting about that whole concept of. A guy with a bomb on a plane, you know, and you look what's happened today. Yeah. And it's really at the forefront of everything when you go to the airport. That's all we think about now. Wow. And, you know, even and the thing is, this was based on a real story from the 60s. Yeah. The, uh, you know, and, and it's so it's so weird thinking that this has always been a problem and, and we've, we haven't addressed it until, you know, the, the post 9-11 world. Right. Right. Just fantastic. And from a production point of view, it it's really great seeing how much lighting they must have used to keep that uh, that plane lit up. Out on the the real runway at MSP, that must have been a lot of big carbon arc lights, just you know, and driving in and out of the shadows. Oh, definitely. As, as it moves away, and all the fake and then, snow. Yeah, and then somebody had to uh, in the in that soundstage as uh, as we're watching uh, the snow fall outside while Inez gets up to the window. They, every time they had to do it another take, they probably had to, you know, vacuum up all the load the boxes up it. again. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Punch so the holes in the boxes. Drag, drag it all upstairs again. So, are you guys ever going to do like a page by page of the novel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that should take you right through to the nursing home. So, yeah, that's what we might do. That. It's a good book. It might be a fun premise to break down each page too. I, I think we're just going to get simpler. We're just going to do a Groundhog Day minute, and we'll just do the same minute every day. We'll just keep releasing it again. So it, uh, yeah. But this, and what this I is thing about. Uh, Maureen Stapleton, if you notice, uh, what, uh, right at, towards the very end, she kind of she's sobbing against the window, and then she finds her inner spine and kind of shakes it off, and she's going to go collect her thoughts. I mean, yeah. just what a what a great what a great performance. No, this this minute is really its own little movie in a minute. I think it's got a a distinct beginning, middle, and end, and it really works strong. Yeah, it does. You just watch the decline and fall of Inez Guerrero, and even though she's in the scene with other people that she's talking to, it's really almost like a soliloquy. She does, you know, we're just watching her reactions. We don't care about the 
gate guys. Mm-hmm. We just, you know, we're focused on her. She travels, she keeps traveling toward the middle of the screen. And uh, our, all of our focus is on her and her feelings. So it, it really is a solo performance on this one. But uh, yeah, really great minute. Um, wow. Well, I, yeah. Uh, uh, sorry there's not more, but I think we've, we've really covered this back to back. So that's great. Um, Chris, thanks so much. Uh, we're going we're gonna to take a break here and probably have somebody else on the show tomorrow. But if you can come back Friday, that would be like super duper. Swell. I would love to. I'm, I'm, I'm in it, man. This is a lot of fun and uh, I'm anxious to. Awesome. Okay. Well, so then we'll uh, meet you here Friday. Okay. Can I go go hop another flight to stay in the mood? I want to be flying in between our our, our shots here just so I can, you know, prep myself properly. Yeah. You try to find a briefcase and walk around. (laughs) Walk around around LAX talking to yourself and see what happens. (laughs) All right. Gosh. Wow. So. Yeah, well, yeah. we'll uh, we'll pick this up again. Uh, well, we're going to pick this up again tomorrow, but uh, we'll we'll see you again on on Friday, Chris. In the meantime, if people would like to uh, leave some comments about this particular episode or any of the other episodes, you can reach us on social media: uh, Twitter, we are Airport Minute; Facebook, we are also Airport Minute. Visit our gigantic site at airportminute.com, where you can leave comments under every single episode. Um, also find out about our guests. Uh, and if you'd like to get this delivered to your mobile device, uh, you can look us up on iTunes and just search for Airport Minute. You can get it delivered every single, well, Monday through Friday. So, uh, And while you're there, if you do uh, subscribe, please leave us a great review because the more people leave great reviews, the more uh, publicity this site will get and we'll get more viewers and maybe we might even do, you know, Airport 77 and 79 and a lot of other jazz. Thank you so much for being with us and uh, we will see you tomorrow. So, in the meantime, good day. Bye. See you guys. Nice going, sweetheart. Remind me to send a thank you note to Mr. Bowling.